Psalm 119. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and have, and have made me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I am more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path, so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth, and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, thanks be to God. Thanks, Tori. All right, there it is. We are in a series called Teach Us to Pray. Nine weeks in the Psalms, the book that taught Jesus to pray, probably taught Jesus to read. So we follow Jesus, right? We're Jesus followers in the 21st century. So we come to the Psalms because we want to be shaped by something other than the 21st century. <laughs> we, want to, we want to be shaped by Jesus of Nazareth, which is why we're reading his prayer book, you guys. And we're doing the 60-day challenge. How's that going for you guys? Reading, yeah, all, praying all 150 Psalms in 60 days. If you haven't joined this yet, you guys, please do. Uh, we are hearing back more than anything in the last two years. We haven't heard so much positive feedback as we have from this initiative. Uh, from our people. This is causing a spiritual reset to take place in our church. Um, very, very needed, actually. God is using these psalms, and as we pray the same ones, we're hearing reports uh, just spontaneously from you he, that God is using these psalms to make us aware of things we didn't know were there, praise and fear and grief and healing. And after the pain of 2020, we're all aware very much of what it feels like to grieve, and in the midst of all this racial unrest and political turmoil, everything else, it's very easy to feel hopeless, you guys. By the way, next Sunday, this is why Tanika Wyatt will be preaching next Sunday on praying through lament. Paul wrote to Thessalonica, we do not grieve like the rest of humanity who have no hope. Yes, we grieve, absolutely. Uh, but it's not a hopeless grief. And Tanika is going to take us there next week. And then, listen, the next week, June 20th, we are going through praying through song from the Psalms. Because it just so happens, June 20th, we are officially back in our building. Like, for good. Back in our building. Which means we're going to be able to hear each other sing <laughs> again. And we're going to be, get this, singing a whole batch of new songs that have been written from within our community that day. Written from this moment as a church. Can't wait for that. But now, today, this might be one of the most important teachings of this series, maybe even of the year. Because today we're talking about praying through Scripture. Praying through scripture. Uh, 
And our text is Psalm 119. Tori only read part of it, mainly because it's the longest single chapter in the whole Bible. This one chapter is bigger than like all of Philippians. Um, and, and I call this the great Psalm, Psalm 119, not just because it's so long, but because it is completely fixated on celebrating the written words of God, the scriptures. Okay, so, I mean, out of all 176 verses, 171 specifically name the scriptures in some way. And you'll notice words like law, testimony, precepts, statutes, commandments, words, rules. All these words are Hebrew terms for the same thing. The written words of God that uniquely reveal God's authority and goodness to humans. And these are the, this is the Bible, you guys. And, and so it's for this reason, this psalm is like, oh my God, I love this thing. I love these words, these laws, because they reveal the character of this really good God. It's like the longest chapter in the Bible is in this perpetual state of shock that God would make himself knowable to humans through text. And so we're going to briefly walk through this text in a moment, but let me make one observation, you guys, right off the bat. And this might feel obvious to you, but I'll say it anyway. The core idea, this idea of loving the scriptures, celebrating them, it's very countercultural. <laughs> in our society, it's like, love the Bible? What on earth are you talking about? Like, why would you love, celebrate, and even pray using a bunch of old books? And I'm going to circle back on this because I think is, this is our core problem today. And it's a great question. Uh, but for now, I want to say this. This secular push against the Bible is so strong that it's even influencing the way well-meaning Christians approach the Bible. More and more, there's this culture of suspicion around the Bible right? We're less inclined to like wake up early, pour over coffee, your Chemex in hand, and, and you just fall in love with the scriptures every day all over again. We're less inclined to do that and more inclined, our, our Bible engagement is more like listening to the latest podcast about the problematic passages of scripture and having conversations, right? And whatever the hot topic is. And, and don't get me wrong, that's super important for Jesus followers. If you know me, <laughs> anything, if you've heard the preaching around it here, we're very much into the hard conversations around faith. So, so I'm all about talking about God and the scriptures, but never at the expense of talking with God and the, through the scriptures. I'll say that again. This is central today. I'm all about talking about God and the problems in the Bible and all of that about God, but never at the expense of talking with God through the scriptures. We have to do this. Why? Because these scriptures reveal who God is on God's own terms, right? If we're not engaging with God on God's terms, then we're not really engaging with God, but probably a God of our own making. Remember the story of Adam and Eve in the garden? Even if you haven't spent much time in church, you kind of know the Garden of Eden story, right? So what was the first trap from the snake? You guys know, what was the snake's first trick? It wasn't the fruit. It was getting humans to talk about God instead of with God, right? That was the first trick. 
And if, so that goes for us. If we're not in dialogue with God and the Bible, but we're more talking around God and the Bible, then the, da- the danger is that we could be making a God in our own image instead of, instead of letting God make us in his. This is why today is all about Psalm 119, you guys, and how we need to pray through scripture and stir up love for this library of ancient documents. We're actually going to pray in groups at the end of this teaching that God would do just that, that he'd stir up love in our hearts for this gift of text that he's given us. Just like Psalm 119 is celebrating, we want to celebrate too. So we're going to briefly walk through this text. Psalm 119, starting in verse 97, then I'll make a few observations, and then we'll sing and pray, and we'll celebrate the baptism and all of that. So Psalm 119, 97. Read this with me. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. So this is the tone of the great psalm. It's this deep, genuine love for the scriptures, specifically, quote, the law, you guys. The psalmist takes this deep breath and he's like, basically, oh my God, I love your laws. And that's weird, right? Like that feels off to us. We are so anti-authority, you guys. Our culture is so individualistic and hyper anti-authority. Loving laws is not something we like naturally do at all. It's like, why would God's law cause such an emotional heart reaction for the psalmist? And there's many reasons. I want to suggest two of them. They're connected. Number one, the psalmist genuinely loves God's law because he knows God's law flows from God's love. He knows this and he wants this. This is a sign of a child of God who knows they're deeply loved. Which leads to number two. It's very simple, you guys. The psalmist loves God's law, quite honestly, because he trusts God. He's like, I know I'm deeply loved by this God. So whatever he says he wants for my life and my community, I know it's for my highest good, even if I don't fully get it. Even if what he's saying is unpopular... I trust this God that these scriptures reveal. I trust in this God. So think about a parent-child relationship. If you're a parent and you're here, like every parent-child relationship has boundaries, right? Rules to like clarify what's healthy and unhealthy. And so there's really two main reasons why a child would resist rules. Either like the rules are bad because the parent's unwise, which sometimes happens. Or, or more, more likely... There's not a problem with the parent. The parent's wise and the parent is loving and has the right information about the child and wants what's best for the child. And the kid's problem is immaturity. If the child still hates those rules, it's an immaturity issue or maybe straight up like sin, it's disobedience, rebellion. So think of my, I think of my daughter, Harper. She's eight now. When she was three, there's no chance she's staying in her bed at night zero. I can explain to her the healthy aspects of like getting a good night's sleep, but nothing's going to stop her from jumping on her brother's faces all night long. Um, Not a chance. And, And so the psalmist recognizes this. He's like, I agree. My father, my God is, is good. And he actually has all of my best interests in motion. 
and he's the perfect lawgiver, and the flow of his laws are actually for my highest good, and they reveal his love, even when I don't get them. And so he's like, the absolute best thing I can possibly do as his child is hunger to understand them, because at the bottom of them is my flourishing. And, and so I'm going to pray his laws back to him like my life depends on it because it does. This is the heart of the psalm, the great psalm. And let me, so let me ask you right now before we go any further, is this your posture toward the Bible? Honestly reflect, how would you describe your relationship with the Bible, with the scriptures? Let's start by asking, do you believe God is good and that you're loved by God? Most of us here, I hope, would say yes. Okay, then do you believe his words are 100% good and for your greatest good? When this good God speaks, he's after your flourishing. Do you know this? And that you can give yourself to what he says. If you believe this, then I would, I would just ask us to be honest and, and answer, like, what does this practically look like? daily. Like very practically, are you learning to read the scriptures well, not just gloss over them or just take easy interpretations of passages or throw certain ones out, whatever. Like, are you learning tools, skills to read the Bible well? Are you praying the Psalms with the church right now? Are you intentionally growing in literacy, your literacy around the Bible? Like learning what the different books are doing and and what they're all trying to say and all that. All is this response, right? It's this response to this, oh my God, I can't believe you've made yourself knowable. And not only that you exist, but that you have intentions that are good for me. I can't, I love this. Is that your heartbeat? This is the invitation of Psalm 119, is to pray the scriptures so that you you are always moving from talking just about God to with God. This is praying through the scriptures. So in that spirit, you guys, we're going to do something we don't normally do. I'd love to do it way more often. And we're going to pray out loud this whole section of scripture Tori just read. Uh, We did it a couple weeks ago when we were in the building because of rain. Um, Psalm 119, open your Bibles. (laughs) Psalm 119, 97, all the way through 112. I'm going to read the odd verses, and you guys will all read out loud the even verses. And you got to read as loud as you can, because we're outside. Only two more weeks of outside. And as we read, as we do this, notice two things. Notice every mention of the Bible, whether it's law, statutes, commands. And then notice what the other lines are saying. They're always telling you why the law is good. It's beautiful what's happening here. So um, let's pay attention to this as we read this out loud together. Are you ready? So I got odds, you got evens. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Yes. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. 101, I've kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. (sighs) 
How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They're the joy of my heart. Yes, this is the word of the Lord. Well done, guys. We just prayed through the Bible together. We prayed through the scriptures. And, and, and what we just read, these scriptures are all about how the, the Bible itself is our source of wisdom. We grow in wisdom through this thing. And the second half of what we just read was all about how the scriptures are our source, source of joy when we suffer. So, so there's so much in this psalm. Uh, let's keep praying through scripture as a community and as individuals so that we grow in trust. We grow in love for these texts and they can form us. And so here's kind of the turning point. You guys, here it is, the hinge of the sermon, okay? I realize a lot of us are like, great, the Bible's good. I should pray it or whatever. Um, it's 2021 and a mostly secular city like San Diego. And I'm talking romantically about an old book written in dead languages, Right? Uh, this, this is a problem for us. Maybe you're here and you feel that. You're like, but like, why? <laughs> really, like love and submit my body and my ac- actions and my behaviors to this library of ancient documents written by dead people. Like what is, I have so many questions right now. Um, that's great. Amazing questions. Which is why for the rest of this teaching, I want to circle back to the problem at the beginning. This question of why do I submit? What does that even mean? Submit to this Bible, like what I do with my money and my sex and my time and my relationships. Why? When we talk about the Bible, there's all these questions that we could respond to, but it all boils down to one. And I want to address this one for the rest of our time together. Because whenever we talk about the Bible, whether it's like one-on-one with a friend, and we're like, I don't really know about this Christian and Bible and God thing, or whether the scriptures can be trusted, or maybe you're listening to a podcast, and it's, it's fueling your doubt and faith and all that, and, and hot topics, it always comes down to this one question. And the pressure is on Christians to answer this question. And it's the question of authority. Authority. It's a dirty word now, today, when everybody's hypersensitive to power dynamics, right? But it's this question of authority, specifically biblical authority. How does the Bible get to tell me what to do? What does that even, why? So in Psalm 119, the psalmist is claiming to love this authority. And he sees it as the best thing for his whole life primary place, God's good rule comes to him. But let's be honest, we don't have that resonance as much today. It's a huge issue. Because there's a lot of people in San Diego who are super hip with Jesus, uh, but way less pumped on the Bible. Am I right? Like maybe that describes you and you're here. You're like, Jesus is great. And in that case, welcome. 
If you're here and you're like, Jesus, great, Bible, not so much, then welcome. Like, this is where we wrestle through this. Hopefully you feel this is a safe place to air your honest questions and wrestle through them together. Because many people find Jesus very compelling, but when it comes to the Bible, they're like, that's great, you follow Jesus, but are you really going to put your life under this ancient text as a source of, like, divine guidance and authority over your life? Seriously. Have you ever heard that pushback from people? There's some nods. There's a brave hand over there. Like, I've heard that pushback. Awesome. So, yeah, I mean, if you haven't heard that pushback lately, just talk to a coworker and ask them what they think about the fact that you live under the authority of a 3,000-year-old book uh, and, and just listen to them talk about you. Just ask their honest opinion. They'll let you know it feels odd, right? Like, who, does, who, who else does this? Uh, virtually no one, but followers of Jesus do. We do do this. We're pretty unique in that way, actually. And so if you don't have those conversations with coworkers or flatmates or dorm students, like, you should. It's a good reminder of where we, where we stand in society. Because all of this boils down to biblical authority. Because if we learn anything from Psalm 119 in the life of Jesus, following Jesus cannot be separated from letting these texts reshape how we live. So I want to explore this, and I'll start personally, okay? Just transparently, I grew up in a Bible-thick culture, pastor's kid, tail end of the Jesus movement and hippy-dippy SoCal, like right outside of, right in Orange County where all these hippie parents of my friends and my parents were hippie parents. They all came to Jesus in one fell swoop and everything was about the Bible every night of the week and in a mega church all about the Bible and um, Christian school. And I was reading my Bible and praying every day, the whole deal. And listen, it wasn't perfect. No church is perfect. And I am so thankful for my upbringing. I've never been more thankful for my upbringing than I am today. But it wasn't until my 20s when I realized something, okay? Through reading the scriptures, I realized the whole world didn't revolve around me and my private Bible time, okay? Through reading the Bible, I realized God's mission for the whole universe was bigger than just getting Christians to read their Bibles earlier and earlier in the mornings, right? There's something else bigger going on. Through studying the Bible, Something way bigger than just me studying the Bible is God's goal. And it was this. God is reshaping the whole world around this Jesus. And his kingdom is coming, and I want to be part of it. It's called new creation. I got to give my life to following Jesus if I want to be part of this. Or in Jesus' words, I got to be one of his disciples. Disciples, are you with me? So... Let me put this in terms of Star Wars, because everybody resonates. Let's say I spend hundreds of hours watching the entire Star Wars canon, like Attack of the Clones, and now Bad Batch, everything. And, and I get tickets for all the midnight showings. I frequent the rides at Disneyland. I spend thousands of dollars investing in authentic lightsabers and robes. Does this mean I'm on the path to becoming a Jedi? It's debatable, maybe. No, actually, there's a real Jedi temple. Did you know this? It's like an actual religion. You can give your life to it. It's a community based around the force and be part of their spirited lightsaber dances. 
They're things. It's a thing. Google it. No matter how much time and money you spend memorizing Star Wars quotes and buying paraphernalia, you won't be a Jedi until you become a disciple in the Jedi community. Right? Until then, guess what you are? You're just a fan. So you're seeing, if you're a normal person, you're fine being just a Star Wars fan, right? I hope. I worry sometimes about Scott Curran. Um, he, I won't tell you how many hundreds of dollars he invested in his Darth Sidious replica lightsaber. But, um, but here's the point. If you are a Christian, you are not okay with being just a Jesus fan. Right. Do you see what I'm saying here? And this helps us understand the authority question. Why do Jesus followers submit to the Bible? The most basic answer, because Jesus did. That's really it. At the bottom of the question, that's the answer. Why do we submit to the Bible as Jesus followers? Because we're not just Jesus fans. We do what Jesus did. So as I realized this in my 20s and I started really diving into the stories about Jesus, I realized, oh my goodness, Jesus cares, more than cares about this Bible. His Old Testament was his Bible and he's constantly quoting it, talking about it, alluding to it. And he always pointed to who he was in relation to these old texts. So I'm in my early 20s and I'm like, okay, I I have to actually do this. I have to read the Bible and really know this book backwards and forwards, not because when I read it in the morning, I magically grow or something, but because I'm an apprentice of an ancient Jewish rabbi named Jesus who also happened to be God. And he knew the scriptures backward and forward. He loved them. He said the whole thing is meant to point to him. So one of my highest goals of life is to learn to read this well. This is Christianity. Somehow we've separated it from this discipleship thing, but it's not supposed to be. So I'm in my mid-20s, and it's like I'm studying the Bible for my first time, like asking these new questions. Am I allowed to ask these questions? Like, why did God put a bad tree in a good place? That seems unfair. Let me really get to the bottom of this. Oh, why is there a talking snake on page three? That seems like sci-fi. And then all the weird sacrifices of, yeah. And then there were these pieces of the Bible that were honestly repulsive to me. Like, why are there horribly violent wars that God seems to command? And why do I need to know about these twisted sex scandals and these dysfunctional polygamist families? I don't want to be like any of these people. And then the stories began to amaze me because the God of these stories stayed committed to these kinds of people. All these dishonest and murderous and polygamist and worse. The God stayed committed to the people and he would actually work with them to bring his healing in the world. And then it all turns out to point to Jesus and everybody loves Jesus, right? I love Jesus. This is the Bible, you guys. It's overwhelming in its beauty and it's complex and it's difficult and powerful. And so my foundation with the Bible, it just took off. My fascination with the Bible just just grew from that 
point. Not So long story short, I did what every recovering pastor's kid does when they rediscover Jesus. I signed up for uh, ancient dead languages. I signed up for Hebrew and Greek, naturally, and invested years in getting MDiv and theology, and I'm still freaking out, you guys, at everything the Bible is trying to tell me about Jesus, which is one of the reasons I submit to it. It's authority. It's good. The Bible is this unique means God has chosen to mediate his authority to his loved children from cover to cover. So now as a Jesus follower means to be part of this community that comes under this authority of Jesus through the Bible. And you might be like, okay, I get that. Evan, you're a pastor. You like went to the pastor school. Um, I'm not you. I'm in a different place. My spiritual journey looks different. Why would I accept these ancient texts as divine guidance for every single part of my life or whatever that means. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're honestly asking that question, then we have to be honest about what the Bible is. Yes, the Bible is the divine word to God's people. But get this, the way this divine word comes to us, the form it takes is first and foremost story. It's a story. I don't mean story in the sense of untrue myth or fiction. I mean, it is a narrative. In following Jesus, primarily narrative, there's other genres too, but in following Jesus, you're being invited into a very particular story of a particular people. And get this, you are agreeing to see this people's story as your own. That's following Jesus. You're saying, yes, this is my story. The story of the family of Abraham that leads to Jesus is mine. I agree. And, and here's a question. Did you know the Bible actually records its own origin story? The Bible's origin is really important when you talk about like why Jesus followers submit to the Bible. Does anyone know where in the Bible is the first mention of the writing of the Bible? It's not in Genesis. It's a lot later than the beginning. It's, it's in Exodus. The Israelites, you know the story of Moses, prince of Egypt, Pharaoh, slaves, rescue. So they come out of slavery. And then in chapter six, 17, the Israelites are free. They're ex-slaves. They're not a country. They're not a military. They're a ragtag bunch of liberated slaves. And they're wandering through the desert. And suddenly, an unprovoked attack from the Amalekite military comes upon them, uh, and the Israelites are sitting ducks, and, and God ends up miraculously rescuing them. It's an amazing story. And there's this little line, it almost feels like a throwaway line. You miss it if you're not paying attention. And it's Exodus 17, verse 14. And, and the Lord says, after God delivers them from this militia, who knows the imbalance of power there? God just miraculously saves them. And then God says this in verse 14. He says, hey, Moses, write what just happened in a scroll so you can remember. Happy birthday, Bible. That's it. That's the birth of this, of this amazing, best-selling, most popular book in human history of all time. No, there's not golden tablets falling from the sky, nothing flashy. Just, hey, Moses, write down how I rescued my family. So my family always remembers what I did for them. 
That's the origin story. That's still what the Bible's for, you guys. Still for the family to remember what God did for the family. Every time we gather, that's what we're doing. God rescues his family and his family remembers. There's rescue and then remembering. That is this relationship. The story goes on and on like that, rescue and remembering. And, and, and a few chapters later, Exodus 19, God brings Moses up to Mount Sinai. And what did Moses write at the top of Mount Sinai? Famous 10, good, 10 commandments. That's, that's part of the story we know, right? And some of you are like, aha, I knew there were rules. I knew there was a book of rules and the Bible's just rules. Um, no, 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 actually you're cutting out the legs from the story. You're cutting out the legs. You can't do that when you read a story. These are not rules. These are the words, the terms of an agreement, of a covenant. This is, listen, Israel is getting married at Mount Sinai. This is a I will, you will, till death, till death. That's what this is. When God reveals his laws, they're in the context of his rescue. And the people are invited to be his family forever. Why? God says it in Exodus 19. He says, if you obey these terms, then you are going to become for me a kingdom of priests, a family of priests that come to me and live with me. And you guys, from that moment on, God's people are the ones who live with him and then take his goodness out to the world who is yet to live with him. This is the whole point of the whole story. And, and as we agree, as we agree with this book, with this covenant, then God starts to work in us. As God's people agree with God's words, we actually become this different culture, this contrast community. We become this whole new way of seeing God and seeing ourselves. We become this beautiful revolutionary family. And we have a different way of seeing money and justice and how to define good and evil. It's all changed through this gift of God's words. And so as, as we, as God's family, are faithful to let the scriptures reshape our shared life, we become this tool in God's hand to go heal the world. This is who we are, you guys. This is why the psalmist says, oh my God, I love your words. I see what you've been doing from the beginning of the story. You're rescuing, we're remembering, and through that, you're reshaping us to renew the world. I love this thing. Every law you give is for our highest good, even if we can't see that high. I trust this. Yes. Yes to all of this. And, and that, my friends, is the proper response to the gift of the scriptures. The Bible is nowhere near the distorted conceptions people have in our culture. The Bible is not these golden tablets that fell from the ground and like God used humans as meat puppets to write his words out of, you know what I mean? That's not the Bible. It's not this divine behavior book to modify what you do with your body, telling you what you should or shouldn't in order to go to a good place and not a bad place. That's not the picture at all. That's not what the Bible is. When you actually, when we learn to take the story as it comes to us, we see something different. The Bible is the story of what God is doing in history 
to save and redeem a people and ultimately the whole universe for his own good self. And we say yes to this through the waters of baptism. We're going to have someone say yes to that today through being baptized into this family. And when we enter into this covenant, the terms of this covenant so overwhelm us at his mercy and grace that we want to actually marry the rescuer. This is what's happening here. It is, a, it is a body of people committed to marrying the rescuer. This is the primary picture. And this, it's actually no different than a marriage. So my wife, she's there in the front. When I got married to Sandy, I was joining my life to a different culture and a different human community named Sandy. <laughs> and uh, very different. I'm a, I'm a, if, if you're into Enneagram, I could give or take it, but I'm, I'm a seven. She's a one. Very different. Uh, I like my stuff spontaneous. She's the opposite. And so when I married, when we married, I stood up in front of family witnesses and I created this covenant. We created this covenant with our words. Nobody forced me. Hopefully nobody forced her. (laughs) But she's, she's incredible and beautiful. And I willingly chose to submit to her terms. To submit to the terms of this covenant relationship and she mine, which means, guess what? My life had to look different from that point on, right? I had, to, I had to learn to see the world through another set of eyes, and I had to change my habits. I mean, very practically, my marriage touches everything in my life. It has direct bearing on how much pizza I eat in a week, how, uh, the movies I watch, when I go hiking, who else I spend my time with, what I do with my money, my body, my time. This covenant marriage has direct bearing on those things. Sure, some people experience marriage as loss, and that's sad. For me, I experienced marriage as losing some things, of course, but it was because what I had to gain was better which was my life joined to another human life named Sandy. This enriched my humanity. It didn't diminish my humanity. Following Jesus is very similar. In following Jesus, you're choosing to see this this Bible story as your story. You're you're giving up (laughs) your own agenda for the agenda of the story. The story of Abraham that leads to Jesus, which, which does mean it requires effort, you guys. This requires effort. Learning to read the Bible well, it takes investment and humility, just like a marriage covenant. And then we commit to living out what the scriptures teach, whether or not it's comfortable or popular. And when we fail, which we all do, there's forgiveness. Forgiveness is built into the story. Forgiveness is built into the story. What did Jesus do on his last supper night when he had the covenant-storied meal with his disciples. That's what Passover was, right? It is the meal soaked in the story of God's rescue. And he said, this cup, this cup, drink from it. It is my blood of the covenant of this marriage, which is poured out, why? For many, for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus is pointing back to Moses on the mountain saying, I am doing what Moses, what no one could have done. I am extending forgiveness from my perfect life. So over my dead body, (laughs) you will enter the kingdom. You will become more faithful. If you keep saying yes, if you keep just remembering, 
I'm committed to rescuing and reshaping you. Are you committed to remembering? This is what we do every week. This is what we do as a family. So the Bible is this covenant document, you guys. So when we realize this, it's like rescue has been provided for me. This covenant story I, I willingly enter into as my guide. And it's not something I do with a gun to my head. It's something anyone would do as a natural response to the one who rescued and showed grace. This is the Bible. This is the Bible. This is what following Jesus is. So to answer the question, and we're going to move into communion uh, now, to answer the question, why submit to this, this book? When I say I live under the Bible's authority, what I'm actually saying is I live under the authority of Jesus. I live under the authority of Jesus. The Jesus who forgives me when I fail and I come to him for healing. He lived the life I could not. And he stays committed to me when I fail. Do you know this? Do you believe this? No matter how deeply you fail, Jesus stays committed to you and calls you simply to remember in community. Jesus' love comes to me through these stories. So we have the privilege of coming. <laughs> as as uh, the band comes back, yeah. We have the privilege of coming under the authority of a person, you guys. And th this person, Jesus, he has the experience and wisdom of what it means to be a fully flourishing human being. I actually want to be like this person, Jesus of Nazareth. We have the privilege of coming under the authority of Jesus, and that means coming under his, his scriptures that he gives. And so our friends at work or at school, they can think we're crazy <laughs> for submitting to a Bible uh, that is this ancient book, but they can't think we're irrational, right? There is absolutely nothing irrational about wanting to join yourself and commit your life to the one who rescues you and loves you more than anyone else. There's nothing irrational about that. It's just who we are. And you remember that we remember this every week together as we come to the table, as we celebrate baptisms monthly. And so uh, we're going to, if we could stand, the order, the order of things right now is we're going to sing and pray for each other. If you feel comfortable, um, we're going to take 30 seconds just to quiet our hearts and invite the Holy Spirit into this moment. And then we're going to pray in groups, like maybe two or three or four. And just pray that the Spirit of God would stir a love for the Scriptures in this church. Very, very practically, ask this. But first, 30 seconds. The Spirit of God is here. Thank Him.